If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. As, as the infallible guru always gets it right, who you should follow, it's a problem. And it's not a new problem. It was there even in apostolic times. The church at Corinth, for example, uh, Paul begins his corrective letter to them saying this. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. The church was divided according to who was the favorite teacher or leader of the different people. Some of them saying, well, I'm, I'm a Paulite. I follow Paul. I'm from the school of Paul. Some are saying Apollos. Some are saying Cephas, which is Peter. It's strange to see this, this I am of Christ on the list, though, because I mean, we're all supposed to be of Christ. So how are they using that name to divide? Well, even today they're doing it, though. Where are Christians called Christians? It's what the Bible calls us. Acts 11.26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Acts 26.28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. 1 Peter 4.16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So there's three places in the New Testament where the term Christian appears. So it is a legitimate biblical term. It's not the only term used. But it is a biblical term. And yet there's a movement now in our churches to, to eschew that term, not use it anymore. And instead call themselves as pretentious Christ followers. We are a community of Christ followers. It's trademark. And it's slightly different, you see. You see, if you're a Christ follower, you're more serious than Christians. You're more pious than somebody who just calls himself Christian. So yeah, even today, that, that name, which is the one name that should unite us, is being used to divide. But uh, let's return to Corinth, and let's see what's going on there. So we saw there's this division. The main division seems to be between the followers of Paul and the followers of Apollos. And we've, I wonder how that came about. Well, how did the gospel come to Corinth? Paul, on his second missionary journey, reached the city of Corinth in the year AD 51. There he made... The acquaintance of a couple of Jews who had been tossed out of Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. And there in Corinth, he, he lived and worked as a tent maker while preaching the gospel. And many came to Christ and he founded a church. He was there for 18 months. And then they moved on with Aquila and Priscilla. They went on to Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla stayed in Ephesus. Paul moved on. He's going back to Syria. He has to go to the feast. Well, while Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus, a certain Jew named Apollos shows up. He was an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, great preacher, understand things fully. And Aquila and Priscilla had to take him aside and privately explain some things to him. And Apollos becomes this, this magnificent preacher. We read how he's, he's speaking powerfully and refuting the, the opponents, the Jewish opponents, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then we read 
in Acts 19.1, it happened that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus while Apollos was at Corinth. Okay? So Paul's left town. Paul has moved to Corinth. And so he's come in, and what's happening there? Well, presumably Apollos continues preaching in Corinth. Uh, he's making converts. Uh, the church has people who came to Christ under Paul's ministry, but now there's a bunch who've come under Apollos' ministry. And so you start getting this division here. Shouldn't be, but you do. I say, as each of you says, I'm a Paul. I'm a Paul of Cephas, right? And Paul, in this letter that he writes to Corinthians in the year 56, addresses this issue. And he says, when one of you says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal, fleshy, worldly? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe. That's all. <laughs> I planted. He planted the church. He brought it there first. Apollos watered. He, he added to the church. Planting a seed and then watering as it grows. It's God who gave the increase, reminds them. Don't, don't focus on the workers. Neither he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God, right? That's what you should be focusing on. Stop this kind of personality cult breakdown. Give God the credit. Certainly you can appreciate a teacher, but don't align yourself with some sort of transcendent loyalty to a human teacher to the point where we just follow and accept everything he teaches. And if somebody suggests, hey, maybe you should study the Bible for yourself instead of just accepting what this guy says, they're all over you, like cops on the last donut in the box. It can have disastrous consequences. Because there's another place in the New Testament where we see this sort of thing apparently happening. I wrote to the church. This is the Apostle John writing. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come... I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Now, look at the stuff that Diotrephes is doing in this, this particular church. He's actually railing against the apostle himself. He doesn't allow anybody from John to come to the church and enter and address people. No, <laughs> he forbids it. And he doesn't even allow anybody to anybody who wants to, he, he excommunicates them. How does he get away with that? Well, there's only one way. He must have a lot of people in that church who have aligned themselves to him, who think he can do no wrong, who support him no matter what. It's a lot easier just to listen to diatrophies than to think for ourselves. To the point where they support him even against John's apostolic team. And that is seriously wrong. It was never God's intention that the church should develop these kind of personality cults. But it does happen. It does happen more than you might think. Uh, just who build careers for themselves in one church. Who make themselves indispensable. They try to have their finger every single pie to make sure nobody can get rid of them. They won't let anybody else come to preach, for example, because, hey, maybe he'll look better than I do. I remember when I was in the seminary and we're doing the, the field education and uh, the pastoral focus had to get positions in churches to work with the pastor and learn the ropes. I to preach a couple of times in the church where I was doing mine, but I heard from so many others that the, 
the pastor will not allow them to preach. Absolutely not. Because, hey, <laughs> what if he looks better? So hard to make themselves indispensable. Uh, and uh, very cozy relations with the board. And once once you get the, the board thinking that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, then you can get away with anything. Ruling with an iron fist. And as I said, it happens far more often than you might think. If you can turn the board into fanboys, you have got it made. And there's an actual problem. That's main focus is in the United States, I think. But there's a problem with what they call pastor worship. They say pastor worship, what is it? Well, they say it's a term applied to the act of elevating a pastor or other spiritual leader to an, an unhealthy degree, as those people are doing with David Jeremiah. Uh, can lead people to put their favorite pastor on a pedestal. And since pastors are human, they can fall to the temptation of craving admiration and actually encourage such behavior. When in the heart of a believer, appreciation for the pastor or other spiritual leader, the guy on the internet, the guy on the radio, the guy on TV, guy writing the books, when appreciation crosses over into preoccupation or veneration, pastor worship is the result. You can see this in some of the big churches and organizations I've seen in myself. And this is why people, professing Christians, can attack you viciously, suggest you go watch pornography, if you suggest whoever they picked as their guru may not be the absolute best. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We need to remind ourselves of this. Certainly God has appointed leaders in the church. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay, and that's, those two are linked, pastors and teachers. Different ways of saying the same thing. So there are leaders, certainly, but it's for a reason. And we mustn't forget what that reason is, because it's crucial. The reason is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The leaders are not put there so that they can build themselves a little fife there, a little empire, uh, finger in every pie, do everything forever, have everybody look up to them, and you know, carve out a nice career for themselves in this one church. No, quite the opposite. It is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. If you're not doing that, your, your church will go nowhere. Because if, if the lay people are not doing the work of ministry, that's it. That's the end. Over 90% of people who come to Christ come through the witness of their, their own friends. So if they're not doing that work, they're just sitting there in church on Sunday and letting the preacher talk. It's not going to do anything. The real job of the church leader is actually to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the point where they can do what he does, and he makes himself obsolete. He's working himself out of a job. So the church should be able to carry on what he does. We see that here as well. He's uh, 5.12. For though by this time, this time you ought to be teachers. Okay? The idea is you don't just sit there and let somebody teach you. You learn to the point where you, in turn, can become a teacher and teach others not always successful. It's not completely successful. <laughs> uh, we continue in Hebrews 5. Uh, it's how you ought to be teachers, but he said they're not. His, they're not. They're be teachers, but they're not ready for that. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the basics. 
you've come to need milk and not solid food. But that's not the way it should be. So what, what happened here? What happened here in this, this church that the author of the Hebrews was addressing? Did the uh, leader not do his job here? I think the leader was Paul. Uh, the, at least the, the writer was Paul. But did he not do his job? Was the problem with the leader here? What's the problem with the people? It's not just up to the leader. If, if this is to work, if the leader is to come in and equip the saints for the work of ministry, they, the saints need to want to do that. And they need to put an effort on that. It's very different in different places. Look at what happened to Paul in Thessalonica, for example. Look at how successful that mission was there. He went in, he preached the gospel. The people received it. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And they accepted the word, even though it's re resulting in affliction to them. And what happened to them? You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's an amazing fruit there in Thessalonica. The people embraced the gospel wholeheartedly. They learned to do the work of ministry. They did the work of ministry. They sent out their, their preachers and, and they told the story of Paul. To the point where Paul shows up in a new town to preach the gospel, and there are Christians there already, and saying, wow, you, you got to hear about this. We heard this from the Thessalonians, because, you know, this guy called Paul went there, and he had this amazing ministry, and these people, they're hearing from these people what they themselves have done. Amazing fruit. Okay? But it doesn't always work that way. What about Paul in Athens? Okay? Famously uh, talked about as Paul's failure, but I don't think it's Paul's failure. Goes up on that, that mountain, uh, Areopagus, and gives this long, detailed sermon. The Greeks are there listening because they always want to hear something interesting, something new. And so Paul gives this, this message, but he gets very little response. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear again on this matter, <laughs> which probably was like, we will file your resume in the paper shredder. Uh, so all departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, along with Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So a few people came, but by and large, it's seen as uh, Paul failed here. But that's not the right way to look at it. It's not Paul who failed. It was the people. It was the same Paul in Thessalonica as it was in Athens. The difference was the people. See, all Christians are urged to be the best they can be. And we've seen this before, you remember it. You don't just cruise on your faith. You add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, uh, love, right? That's what's meant to be. And a good, good uh, to concern the help, but you need to do it. You add to your faith, virtue. You add to your virtue, knowledge. You add to your knowledge, self-control, and so on. Remember this. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How am I doing that? How many, even now, are still reading the Bible regularly? You wonder. And then this one. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Diligent. Work at it. You need to be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. 
what do you say to God on judgment day? He said, what were you doing all this time? Oh, I, I was, I was, you know, a lot of online gaming and uh, I did my job, bought myself a nice car. You need to be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly understanding, exegeting the Bible, not, well, David Jeremiah will tell me what it means. How about this one? Remember when Jesus talked about the the parable of the sower and the seeds? And and the first seed fell on stony ground, Satan took it away, nothing there. Second one, seed falls on, on shallow ground and grows up there's a plant there's a conversion there's a christian life but it doesn't it's not grounded it's not rooted and so it ends up falling away the third one fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it so that it bore no fruit so there again you have the christian life and that's the one who lives worldly no fruit still there still is a christian still saved because that's by faith alone but no fruit the fourth one is though the good one this is the seed that goes on the good ground same seed in every case, the word of God. It's the ground that's different. What kind of ground are you? What kind of ground do you want to be? And that's the good one. This is a seed that grows up and bears fruit. But it doesn't stop. He doesn't stop there. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Doesn't stop there. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Like even among Christians, the good Christians, those who want to do things for God, there's a difference. Some bear 30-fold, some 60, some 100. So who wants to do 100? Who's going for 100 here? <laughs> who's settling for just 60? Who's settling for just 30? Who's settling for less than 30? Who's settling for none? Who's settling for none? Okay. You know, the longest time that Paul ever spent with one church was three years. I was with the Ephesians. And then in his final meeting, Departing from Ephesus, on his way to Jerusalem, where he would be arrested. In his final meeting, he addressed the the elders, called them out, and uh, gave him a long speech. And he said this, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you? How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, taught them everything they need to learn. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. So eager at any cost to do mission, ministry for the Lord and bear fruit. And then he says this. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So first, the first thing he does is acquit himself. He is innocent of the blood of all men. And what do you mean innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God? Remember in Ezekiel, the warning to the watchman. So if a watchman, if he sees enemy coming, sees disaster coming, he doesn't say anything. The people will be destroyed, but their blood, says God, I will require at the hands of the watchman. If he gives warning and the people take, take the warning and protect themselves, everybody's okay, it's great for everybody. If he gives the warning and they don't listen, they are headed for disaster, but he sees it himself. He's not going to be accountable for them because he warned them. 
And this is what Paul is saying here. He has told them everything. The whole counsel of God has not left out things. There are a lot of things nowadays that people don't want to hear. And pastors are very reluctant to talk about it. They won't talk about things like six-day young earth creationism. I was in a big church one time where the uh, I asked the, the minister there about six-day young earth creationism, and he seemed to believe it. But he said, I won't teach about this because on my board of elders, 12 elders, I have one guy who doesn't like it. So I won't talk about it. You know, all kinds of other things people don't want to hear about. Things about today, sexual morality, abortion. But Paul says, look, I told you everything. I didn't leave out the parts you may not like. Women's roles. No, I didn't leave that out. I addressed it. And that's why he's innocent of their blood. And then he warns them it's time for them to take over. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're going to have to shepherd them now. I'm out of here, says Paul. And then he warns them, be aware. After my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. It's, 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 in, your, it's in your court now, folks. The ball's in your court. you got to do it. I trained you. And when I'm gone, you need to shepherd them. And there's going to be false teachers and, and persecutors coming from outside. And they're going to be suffering inside. And you need to be ready. Because as Paul departs at the end of his tenure there, find that that's how it's always going to be. At the end of the day, every Christian needs to stand up, take responsibility for his own spiritual life. Cannot count on some chosen guru to sit back and listen to what he has to say. And that's nice, you know, it's very, very spiritual. No. At the end of the day, you are responsible for your own spiritual life. And after you've been taught a certain number of years, you, you need to, like in Hebrews, by this time, you got to be teachers. This time, you got to be ready to do that. Okay? It's time, if you're not, haven't done that so far, folks, it's time to get serious. Okay? It really is. You do not want to be like the people in Athens where, where Paul can do nothing because they just don't care. Okay? So you have to decide which one are you going to do. Are okay? you going to get serious or not? Are you ready to do that? Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.